you need to have a level of intellect higher than the level of intellect that took you to identify the problem yeah to find right? the solution true yeah exactly who said this i can't recollect somebody said this uh, if you don't know who said it is uh, attributed to rumi isn't it <laughs> i believe so <laughs> or einstein <laughs> einstein yeah Other there you go people, yeah depending on how poetic or logical yeah. it is yeah <laughs> there thank you so much for joining me one more time on the absolutely right podcast india's first graphology based podcast show my name is aditi sarana i'm a behavioral analyst a high performance coach and anti anxiety expert one of my tools to analyze behaviors is graphology or handwriting analysis and the show specifically the wednesday episode is completely based on that but before i get into the description of it i was reminded of a small little story from my childhood my father was an art director and i wanted to become a filmmaker because every time i went with him on his sets and you know looked at the world and the cameras i was fascinated by it and i was curious i kept asking questions i'm like why should i do this what is that what is that you know how kids are one day my father said oh if you want to become a director you have to find your characters in real people and i said yeah that's true that makes sense and now look at it and i feel he just wanted me to not bother him with all the questions so he gave me the task of observing people As you can imagine after all these years I haven't stopped doing that. Our guest on the show is also a keen observer who loves to walk into the most complicated problems and find a solution to it. He is an international badminton player, a Guinness Book of World Record holder, a mentor on United Nations project and a startup investor besides being the chief marketing officer of IBM Southeast Asia. Our guest Arun Kavale is on Forbes top 50 best marketing and communications leaders in Asia list and was awarded the most influential global marketing leader award by World Congress Marketing. In today's conversation he spoke about a powerful concept called executive presence where he says Every time you make your decision and you build your team it all happens through all the strategic choices but at the same time being the presence the executive presence that you're supposed to be check out that part it's really interesting without further ado let's start the conversation with Arun make sure that you keep your handwriting samples around because as i analyze him you will get to discover some interesting parts of your own personality let's get started hi arun welcome to absolutely right I am thrilled to have you on the show because of your obviously the career and the high performer that you are but more importantly your interest in sports and you know other work that you do as on on a social level I want to know about all of it and our listeners are keen to know what makes you this successful what is the secret behind what behavioral traits do you possess and let's dive directly in that 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 aspect of your life and story so please tell us where your interest of badminton started okay good afternoon aditi and uh, happy friday i don't know when this is going to get <laughs> but it is friday today and i'm happy okay great <laughs> good reason to be happy about yeah yeah why not <laughs> uh okay so my badminton I, i won't even call it as a hobby it's 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 really my passion my life is 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 at the intersection or trijunction of three circles there is my family there is my the work that i do which is around marketing and technology marketing in particular and badminton so my life is right really at the trijunction in the <laughs> it's right there in the trijunction okay. circles right so so that's that's the that's the passion i have for the sport and it started i guess uh, i was 
I was 11 and a half, 12 ish. My first marriage was, was to badminton. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, and it started there, and uh, it started like um, uh, for a lot of kids my age. I mean, I grew up in uh, Bangalore, mm. um, the 80s kid in mm. Bangalore. So um, it started off as, you know, somebody dragging me along to a summer camp. I mean, you didn't ask video games, right? So you had all the time in the world. Yeah. So I went there and uh, yeah, so there were a bunch of kids. So I saw the bunch of kids. I was like, this is cool, right? There's, there's a ton of kids. I mean, what more do you want as a kid, sure, right? Sure. So started playing the summer holidays at two months, came and went. And then by then I was a little hooked. And then my deal with my parents was uh, till the next exam comes in, I'm going to play. So it was it was balancing. It was a balancing act. You know, my deal with my parents was as long as your academics don't suffer, you are free to do whatever you want. Right. I, mean, I also I feel it's a very South Indian parenting. Like my father was Telugu. So we brought up in like complete disciplinary and South Indian <laughs> style. So I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was uh, it started that way in a very accidental manner. So um, when did you realize that this is something that you want to take it seriously or you want to pursue it in, in a long run? When did you get married to this sport? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I don't know if, if I can answer when I got married, but I know when the love affair really started. <laughs> <laughs> that is <laughs> more of I, I remember one of those uh, one of those uh, little tournaments there, you know, one of those state state level tournaments. Uh, um, um, I, I remember Prakash sir, Prakash Padukone, yeah, um, who was if I if I recollect right, he was. He was either the president or secretary or something of the Karnataka Badminton Association for a very short time of, uh, okay. yeah, around early 90s, I think. Um, he was there and he saw and he went and asked someone, who's this boy? My and then, God. Uh, and then uh, he spoke to me and it was like, you know, for, 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 for someone. For a child, who, yeah. You no, know, I used to collect, you know, I don't know if you remember, there used to be this magazine called Sports Star. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've seen yeah. my father collecting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I still remember, I think it must be still there somewhere in my, one of my old files. Cutting, there was a cutting of oh. uh, <laughs> uh, playing is. So I remember cutting that picture and keeping it and treasuring it. And here is this picture in life. Is life yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's like meeting Michael Jackson or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's probably what kicked it off, and then wow. it went on. Uh, I must also tell you, Aditi, it's very very interesting because uh, I, I I think <laughs> I had um, I gave up badminton, um, you know, somewhere in the middle of my engineering uh, life. Okay. Uh, various reasons, right? I think the timing was an issue, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. And then I went through twelve years, the next twelve years, uh, which included my completion of engineering, getting my first job. Uh, going into B school, dating my then girlfriend, now wife, having you know, getting married to her, having a child, all of that. So and almost like like a caravas for like twelve years, one vas or something. Okay. Yeah, just short of two years, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I mean, these twelve years, my family, my wife, my kid had no clue about my badminton past. No, because I was so. Yeah, I, the way you're saying it, my badminton past sounds like like some, some <laughs> relationship from the past that emerged suddenly. Okay, then I, I call it my love affair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one fine day, um, 2007, 2007 Jan 7th, I think. Oh, I remember the date. Um, 
like every new year you do your new year resolution my new year resolution was i was 30 something at that point and i was looking like a 40 something um, south indian uncle <laughs> <laughs> so i was like i got to do something about myself this can't be me Right. and i went to the gym like every other person does and i got so bored within 3 days i said this is not me okay and then uh, just driving out of one of those malls um, uh, my wife and i and uh, there's a small little badminton club there i remember many many years ago as a kid i had gone there a few times now the the, the president of that club he happened to see me and he stopped the car he spoke to me Okay. He said, "Aren't you this guy?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then we spoke, and so I wanted to come and play. I actually parried him a few times. I said, oh. "Yeah, I'll come, you know, next Tuesday, next Thursday," and you know, right. just parrying him. But at some point, uh, I couldn't. I had to turn up because he was so insistent. And uh, yeah, thanks to him, two thousand seven something March or something, and then here we are now. Um, well, I played, uh, you know, the old man's uh, world championships. Wow. Uh, I kept in the Singapore Masters team. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, like I always say, you know, if you're destined for something, it'll come to you, even if you True. run away from it, right? True. So now today, I mean, I the fact that I get to play with, uh, you know, former big the... gold medalists wow. and world champions, it's like sometimes I really pinch myself and say, <laughs> is, this, is this true? Is this happening? Oh my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a question, okay? So I, I do study and, and and I interview athletes, and we always talk to different leaders on our show. So what do you learn from the sport or the competitive behavior from there and implement as a leader? Sure, I think a large part of my um, work personality or personality in general has been shaped by definitely by those experiences in badminton, mm -hmm. uh, both childhood badminton experiences as well as continuing. Uh, um engagement with the game with the sport i think the prime the most obvious and fundamental piece is um, um as an athlete you are trained to go all in i mean there is no midway right i mean you go right. out there you 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 it's not just sweat that you leave behind right you, you leave behind your blood <laughs> yeah of course of course and But you are either 100% or zero so that's like yeah you're all in you know as far as your input is concerned there's no in between holding back to or 100 right you the switch is on and you're on right but the beauty of it is once it's done you i mean i i don't hang on to the outcome sometimes outcomes are in your favor sometimes you lose so it's it's you move on mm. you move on you know i i see a lot of people uh, um lingering all around much. yeah who you know when things don't go right um at least it doesn't go to their expectations it it became it, it sort of derails them for a long time hmm. um they fail to get past that but to me i think it's 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 uh, i would credit my ability to you know just move on primarily due to those uh, sporting experiences which is i think fundamental life lesson and not just a career lesson So as I understand you play singles. I play both. Both. Okay. So it's also like the team and and actually taking care of the other person and functioning like that. All of that is also implemented. Yeah, yeah. So anything yeah, related yeah. to team building or you know in a way connecting to other person that we can derive as a parallel from. You know as as a young player I would think that badminton is an individual sport. Right. But now I mean it is still an individual sport in the sense that on the court it's just you or 
you and your partner, depending on singles or doubles. Mm. But it's definitely not an individual sport because there's a whole army of people who support you. Sure. I mean, whether it is the coaches or the physios and the masseurs or just your family. I mean, you know, I have a teenage, teenage daughter and I have a, you know, uh, I think dog years, a teen dog. Um, they demand my time, you know, and here I am a crazy dad who just goes off uh, four times a week and, uh, you know, yep. um, so it is, it is definitely a team sport. It's just True. that one person is there to play, but there's a whole army of people behind. So respecting that, recognizing that is, is, is a critical, critical, again, it's a, it's a life lesson to me. I sure. mean, respecting people, I mean, not everybody contributes in the same way, but everybody do, does contribute, do contribute uh, significantly may not be in the same way that you think sure, is sure. And, and the way you expect them to in a way yeah great so i want to dive deep into our conversation around graphology and talk about certain specific traits so do you have your handwriting handy with you yes okay um, i also am going to request our listeners to keep their handwriting with them uh, if you don't have it pause write something for two three lines and sign there so that when i'm analyzing arun you can actually look at your own handwriting and learn some interesting facts and things about yourself so here we are the first thing that stands out about your writing is the thickness of <laughs> <laughs> he's crossing his fingers for our listeners who didn't see why I laughed at this moment. So uh, when you use thick pen to write, which is like a preference, which is, you know, something that you always enjoy, I believe, uh, it comes from the fact that you, as a person, you're very sensually driven, which means every single experience when it comes to all five senses is derived and observed very deeply. So if you, if I talk about your, uh, preferences or your understanding in taste, in music, in different, even, uh, you know, differentiating between delicate fragrances, it's very well thought through. You do not take these things for granted. If you're looking for a particular shade of color, you know exactly what you're looking for. If you're looking for a particular flavor, you know exactly what you're looking for. You might not be showing your disappointment. You might not be, you know, critical about it but you're very, very clear about it. And if given a choice, when you have time on hand and when you're creating something, you really put in that extra effort to make sure things fall in place to that. I would not use the word perfection, but to that exact measurement. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't realize you could say so, you know, you could, you could take so much away from oh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the the thickness of the pen, yeah. but I think, yeah, I think a lot of it, uh, what you just described is very, very apt, uh -huh. um, though my teen daughter may not fully agree that I have a fine sense of appreciation of colors, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think, I think you, we can't compete with her on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're never good enough. Uh, dad is never good enough for a daughter when it comes to fashion sense and uh, when it comes course. to some of these things, of but course. I do think that, um, um, my sense of smell, for instance, right? I, I, I collect uh, fragrances. I try and review fragrances. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very, very particular about uh, um, smells and what, what, what goes on my skin. Um, and uh, being, I think you, you probably spoke about obsessiveness and obsessive behavior without saying as much, without using those words. That perfectly <laughs> characterizes me. I mean, even now I'm sitting here, everything is, you know, the 
piece of paper that I have is exactly at 90 degrees mm-hmm. to the paper. Mm-hmm. Not. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it is a pain most of the times, but uh, not having it that way is a bigger pain. It's another thing. I, I can imagine. I can totally imagine. So just to clarify, it is not about using a thick pen for our listeners who are, who are tuning in. It is moreover about having a preference with the ink flow, having a preference of writing always with a thicker ink flow, which allows you to feel comfortable. Some people feel uncomfortable if they are given like 0.5 or 0.7. Now that choice is subconsciously your, your mind expecting you to create that flow talking about that extra attention that you give and this is such a small subconscious choice we don't even pay attention to it but the beauty is in those micro choices you'll end up discovering the real personality which otherwise we forget because you know we are so busy speaking in a particular manner it's all all acquired and trained behaviors but when you take all of that away and if you let the person be without any conscious choice is i believe where you really discover a person so this is how the, the graphological aspects I uh, can talk about. I'm wow. blushing. I always blush about talk. Whenever <laughs> I talk about graphology, I, I, I blush. So, yeah. But do these things change, Aditi? I mean, it's interesting because uh, I remember for, for, for a while when I was in engineering, I used to have this, you know, some fascination and preference for this supremely sharp pencils and uh, those point, is it point zero five mm those 0.5 very fine pens but now i i yeah you're right now i prefer thick gel pens <laughs> it happens actually uh, as we grow as we so because graphology or handwriting is a representation of who you are and because you keep changing it must change it's like your mirror image right if you change and if it doesn't change then you're like oh it's a photograph it's not a mirror image the fact that you're changing and now you feel like making different choices in these and as we will dive deeper you'll see how every small curve every extra dot would actually reveal deeper aspects of our personality and this is this is what we do not choose because we know we want to do it we do it because this is a style this is my flow this is how i like it and that still reveals and that's the best part wow <laughs> so arun as i look at your writing when you connect one letter with the other letter there is an angular formation to it. So, which means sometimes the strokes go very sharp up and sometimes they go a little soft, but that sharp connection, and I want to talk about how one letter is connected to the other, talks about how one thought is connected to the other. Mm -hmm. So you do have long connections in your writing, which means the words like management or characterizes are all connected in one single stroke. You know, you do not pick up the pen other than dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Now that talks about somebody who picks up a process and goes to the end without dropping it. You literally have like these linear processes that run even when you're doing your everyday work or if you you have your internal processes well defined. So people may think that you are very good at it when dealing with people or, you know, your team members, but not necessarily even given a choice with your Uh, hobby or with your everyday work, you think like that. And a person who thinks like that also lands up implementing these processes everywhere. Oh, wow. I mean, this is again uncanny uh, because, yeah, I mean, if I were to put out my strengths, I think ability to, you know, we call it systems thinking, which is Mm -hmm. to think of the bigger picture and how the individual components come together to come together to make the bigger one come alive 
I think that is and also, definitely something. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and oh. also like do it flawlessly. So it's not only coming together, but seeing all the repercussions that every every component would have on other. That is natural. Yeah, yeah I mean that's um, that's something that I, I definitely call as a strength of mine, which is to sort of, you know, um, in fact, not just do it for myself, but also encourage my team to you know actively think of something beyond just the mere task that they're currently working on and drive a sense of uh, um, co-ownership for the larger picture. Because, uh, uh, I mean, there are enough memes out there, right? I mean, you could (laughs) either be uh, looking at yourself as cutting, you know, uh, blocks of stone, or you could be looking at yourself as a temple builder or, you know. So unless you, as a leader, unless you clearly communicate the larger objective, the larger end game, you are never going to get complete, you know, uh, engagement and ownership from the team, right? As long as they don't define themselves as part of a meaningful whole, they are never going to be connected, right? And which means that you become your own bottleneck, right? And you're going to be tracking, you know, if it's three people, you're going to be tracking three people but what happens if you're running 300 people team right. then you're 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 dead you can't you, you can't do anything with it right i, so, I want to i want to actually ask you a question uh here so when you're doing like the, the meaning you know like in your work and i'm also referring to so many studies that spoke about how bringing in meaning to your work actually becomes an emotional and you know uh physically thriving experience we can do that to a mission that is completely driven by say a social outcome we can do that to a small startup where you have an impact that you're creating how about corporates how do you end up creating an impact by doing your day-to-day job I, I was asked this question recently by one of my clients and she's like you know it was easier when i could see and feel the impact i was directly creating when i was dealing with customers but now that i i had a large team i don't experience that so yeah i mean um, I can only answer for myself and my team. Um, I'm sure there are many models out there, but just my model of what seems to be working for me, right? Which is my team is not a big team. So um, it's still, you know, I still have a lot of FaceTime. <laughs> Literally FaceTime. <laughs> uh, with people. Um, so I guess what, what really is important, and I emphasize that I, I don't think I can, emphasize this enough right which is we are part of a large organization i mean my company is a massive company sure. now if i sure i can hold to my corporate ambition or corporate objective that our chairman lays out um, maybe that vision is compelling enough and tangible enough and meaningful enough for every single person in the organization perfect but sometimes it is not sure. So, which means that as a leader at every level, I think we need to sort of cascade that down to something more meaningful, something that we can feel. I mean, if, if, if for instance, you know, uh, many companies put out, you know, I'm going to deliver X cents of dividend or X dollars of dividend to the market. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to somebody who's working in India? You know, what does it mean to someone working here? It doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. So unless as a leader, we sort of cascade that down to, so if you're going to drive X dollars of dividend to the shareholder, it Mm. means you're going to drive whatever number, you know, millions or billions of dollars of revenue. Mm. And that revenue has to come from certain geographies, certain 
um, business units. Mm-hmm. And this is my contribution to that. So if I'm going to drive so much of contribution to that, that becomes my goal that we are setting up for this team. So I think cascading down of the goal to a level which people can live with and relate to touch and feel right and relate yeah, to. True. If you don't do that as a leader, I personally feel we'll never be able to drive co-ownership. I mean, it's, it's like, it's just somebody's number and uh, yeah, I mean, now with your analytical thinking and also i may say argumentative behavior and i'm going to talk about both of these things now you have a side that very few people are aware of that is you're extremely emotional when it comes to the the people that you care about now when you are talking to these people the logical, the so-called, the perfect, you know, the otherwise, the persona that people are aware of is not available. So very few people and family members would be aware of it. And I'm saying that there are three traits I combined to talk about this. So the first one, the angular connection that I was referring to, talking about the analytical and very to the point kind of conversations that you love to have. Second trait is of argumentativeness. When you write your letter P, there is an antenna formation on the top. And anyone with that antenna formation and little gap on the top, the way you have in your letter P, talks about, uh, depicts that the person is argumentative when he's very, very convinced about the point that he believes in. That once you decide that this is what you want to stand by, it is extremely difficult for people to convince you otherwise. Until the logic is proven by multiple resources. Or one person cannot drive it to a point where they can win the argument easily. And the last point I said, the emotions take over because when you write your letter V, so many times the formation at the bottom is softer. So Mm -hmm. people with that specific letter turning into U formation uh, show that they are emotional where the close relationships are concerned. Over to you. Um, Very apt, I would say. Um, So the emotions part, maybe I'll just address that first. I think it's, um, it's, it's true. Um, yeah, especially when it comes to a f- small set of people, um, I'm, I'm quite emotional and, uh, extremely productive. And while I have my hard rules on practically everything in my life, um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I classify myself as a disciplinarian mm-hmm. in the sense that I, I self-discipline myself more than I discipline anybody okay. else in the world. And to some extent that sort of spills over to the external world, right? So, um, but when it comes to certain people, certain circumstances, I can just go completely opposite, a different person. (laughs) So that is very, very true. Um, The argumenting, um, argumentative uh, personality is again appropriate. I think that's both a strength as well as a weakness uh, that I deliberately need to uh, focus on and work on, which I'm, which I'm working aware of. Um, I think it's, it's, um, I don't know if it's related to the education that I had the privilege of um, getting, which is about as an engineer, you know, I, I love math. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm a, you know, yeah. I'm an odd person out. I love math. Me too, uh, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, so, even, even um, uh, maybe about 10 years ago or seven years ago, till about seven years ago, I used to sit and do calculus to pass time. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so, so for me, what it means is a lot of things in life 
the danger for me is I can very quickly slip into a binary, mm. right? Because math is in many ways very deterministic. Right? Can be binary, can, can build can your perspective, binary, yeah. Right? And the, the, the training in engineering and precision and um, I'm still a big believer in process improvements in daily life. I mean, I, I, I as we I, just saw, I can drive my family and myself up the wall with some of my <laughs> some of the processes. <laughs> Some of my processes uh -huh. um so yeah i mean it, it what it means is um, some things you're very convinced that it's got to be this because there is a process to it sure probably that that that's a right uh, right position to take mm -hmm. but what i need to work on is the way that position is taken and i think that's something that over the years i've definitely changed um yeah i think i leave it at that i guess uh, one of the key changes that um, we all make and need to make is focusing on the defining relationships as part of a win as mm -hmm. opposed to just the outcomes well said well said and i was about to tell you that when i talk to people about this one particular trait of argumentativeness i always tell them to differentiate between the point that you're making and the person that you're speaking with so when you realize you're talking to a child you won't be as uh, you know how we how we really mold our words and really put them in the context that the child can understand same can be remembered and i know it's easier said than done but if you start building that awareness that the person i'm speaking with is different than the point i'm making slowly and steadily you still stay sharp and you know pick up all the data required to process the information but you don't go as harsh on the other person so what you're saying is the differentiation between the the two and well said you know keeping the relationship context in mind i guess one of the questions that uh, given where i am in my life journey one of the things that i always ask myself and maybe that's something that you can help sort of uh, get some thoughts around is is the question of purpose of life not not life i mean it's not really about spirituality <laughs> it's about i firmly believe we are here for a purpose in terms mm. of the choice of career that we have you know made right uh, but how does one know or how do i know for sure whether what i'm doing today is what i was meant to be doing i mean because what you are doing today is really a function of the choices that you made at some mm. point right mm. Um, so you, as much as you think that you are all, you know, you came here with a very deliberate strategy. I mean, some decision that you made 20 years ago has affected. Yeah. So how do I know whether, um, the purpose, my purpose and what I'm doing are aligned? Um, that's, that's a directional sense. Am I going in the direction that I was meant to go? Hmm. I also have a slight addendum to that, which is along with the direction the distance um or or, or like how, how much far? of that potential have i realized because i guess um i'm in my mid 40s now so another you know i i need to be looking at what happens at retirement right yes. so um a lot of things that you thought of as your future state is now yeah <laughs> <laughs> this living is it. my future yeah, living living it, yeah. Right? so how do i know at the end of you know retirement i look back and say hey you know i did what i was meant to do and i did it to the extent i was meant to um, wow great question great both of them like amazing loaded and i would break them into three parts as i as i speak about it 
I feel one is an experience. And one of the things that I, I did a lot of research on is how mind and body are connected and how we are not our minds and our bodies. So we are literally using these two instruments to propel and you know, move forward, do things and make decisions. But then you always have the sense. So the purpose question is about the sense you have with your life and body and mind being the ways of achieving that. And the very moment you kind of build that context, suddenly you say, okay, then I can, you know, do this much with my mind and do that much with my body. And I still have space to, to realize and be connected. So things that bring your body and mind alive can become your guiding system, like your little GPS to know that I really, truly come alive in this context, in this space. To give you an example, for you, it could be sports. Uh, it won't be the general meetings that you do, but when you walk into a problem, when you're solving that one complex area and you concentrate or you focus so much that you land up diving so deep that you discover yourself there, that your body and mind both come together, unite, and, and we also call it yoga, right? So in, in a way that when you are in that yoga state, that that communion state, you suddenly have more capacities available that you didn't know existed. I always feel those moments can become your GPS to know mm -hmm. whether you are on the purpose or not. Right. So because from a career standpoint, um, um, I don't know if it's even fair for me to ask you this question, but um, let's see where it takes us. Right. Um, from a career standpoint, uh, how does one know um, that, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm doing marketing for technology and so on. How do I know this is what I was meant to be doing? Um, because I was equally good at a lot of things. Sure. Um, how does one know um, this is the right career option? Or how do I know, okay, you can't go back in time, but at least moving forward, um, does anything in the handwriting analysis or suggest that maybe there are other strengths that you should look at maybe there are some areas that you should steer away from and things like that okay so uh, one of the ways to know whether you feel connected to your existing career or not is to know how focused or how dedicated you have been in a long run so handwriting talks about your current state of mind yes but it also talks about overall where your journey has been so for example i when i look at something called baseline and they're very revealing the imaginary line on which you write in graphology and they're they're poetic like you know every small journey that you have gone through you can see the variation they capture and so many times people wonder how i, I end up telling them that oh the timeline wise this happened and five years back you did this and people are like how is that possible is there any other math to it absolutely not the baseline as a factor is so revealing that being observant of them you can discover a lot about the person in your case if i look at the overall focus in life that barring first few years of your career where you were still figuring out where your rhythm and where your dance lies when you found you discovered your craft underneath after that you haven't looked back you always felt more and more engaged and if i may use the word consumed by the challenges in a positive way so you walked into things and you felt oh this is what i wanted to do and what if i stretch a bit more and you were given next opportunity where you stretched further and you stretched further so if I have to talk completely from a space of what your body is representing about your mind, I would say, I don't see any dissonance there. I don't see any struggle there. I feel it was on the journey that 
that you felt completely absorbed in okay cool so i got on the right train i believe so <laughs> having said that the questions that you're asking can i move forward and and build a bit more i feel yes and that is uh, mainly because i feel last 18 months and i'm not only talking about the lockdown i feel you haven't grown at the pace you would like to grow and this is where the so called frustration irritation that little you know lack of you know satisfaction is kind of getting in now because you don't feel the goals that you wanted to achieve and not external more internal in your case because most of it is internal where you feel whether i'm doing the best job whether i am delivering my best possible self here that matters to you a lot so if yeah. you not grow in that manner and if the speed of growth is not at particular rate that you're used to then you do fall into the existential kind of questions am i on the right path is it something i want to do and i think it's not only for you is applicable to many of us when we are not completely engaged and and in one with what we are doing we start feeling it is not meant for me so please look at enhancing your challenges that's how you will thrive much yeah. more in this area Yeah. uh one more point i wanted to make is the idea of flow there are moments where you know this is a book by uh, mihai chiksen mihai he speaks a lot about it and many people have talked spoken about flow as the high performance state of mind now if you devise a method to put your mind and body into this high performance state for you that would become a way to discover yourself further now i feel that is not happening you are not necessarily discovering yourself because the bar that you had set which was very high for most people was achieved 2 years back now you are like where is my next thing and what is that next thing do i have to like rush it's not about rushing but it's about questioning and intensifying the flow for yourself whether other people are watching or not luckily your career kind of has supported that to happen but i feel now you are at a point where you have to do it on your own right yeah yeah i think it's also a function of uh, the times the last couple of years that we've all lived through and continue to live through you know cabin yeah. fever does sure, sure. does funny things to different people right? <laughs> yeah so there was an interesting statistic aditi that i came across i believe about 40% of employees not just employees of my mm. firm but across the board across, yeah are planning to stop working because um, 40% 40% it's it's a massive number my god um i mean this is the impact of uh, you know staying at home you know not not being able to go to office meet people just just cabin fever right yeah yeah so people are questioning uh, why do we do what we do and True. you know is it worth it and things like that you know reprioritization of priorities right there is so, like colossal loss of colossal, the yeah. potential that we have built 40% is like huge Yeah, the future of work is going to be super different. I mean, yeah. I don't know if uh, even offices just 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 put it out there, right? I mean, we don't even know. We can't be sure that offices continue to function the way they do. Uh, the way they do. I mean, the way they did. Right? Did yeah. <laughs> Because uh, yeah, I mean, people are so comfortable working from homes. Mm -hmm. All they are missing is uh, hey, I need to meet my socializing, right? So mm -hmm. then maybe the offices could be just socialization hubs, right? Mm -hmm. You go there, you know, you hang out, you come hang back, out, have a cup of coffee, meet your colleagues, do some, you know, whiteboarding, and then come back and do your rest of the job at home. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a completely different future of work. Oh, yeah, what you're walking into. You know, given that we are in the midst of um, once in a generation change in work. Um, and and relationships and you know 
people reevaluating their own life priorities and so on. I think it's also an appropriate time for, I mean, personally for me to ask myself from a leadership style perspective, um, clearly what has brought you thus far may not guarantee you, you know, any further, right? So what needs to change from a leadership style? Uh, is there anything in the handwriting analysis graphology that could help point some indication? So more than graphology for this answer, I'm going to rely on my uh, other training as a high performance coach. And one of the training modules that I'm I'm certified to do is called What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel uh, I spoke about, if I have to break it down and speak about behavioral traits and connect it to your next growth curve, I would say the internal ideas that you have and some projects that you're constantly working on. I'll give you an example. Now, when you spoke about your interest in math or sport, it is not because you are only competing. It is the problem solving that you are obsessed with. You want to take your skill to the next level. You want to see the impact that skill set or your thinking in that direction creates. Now, similarly, if you look at leadership skills, you used to do, do that a lot more. I would say, please resume that, that problem solving and leadership for you to create your next learning curves and work towards it. You love uh, projects, end result, and then going with complete energy to create that impact. You love that processing. Yeah. And um, um, burnout, how does um, one, um, it's not that I'm facing the issue, but I'm always wary of uh, both, both because of my sporting background as well as um, I'm, I'm at an age where I see a lot of people around me burning out. Um, how does one avoid burnout? I mean, what can you do? Because one of the strengths that I see and, and widely recognized within my organization also is, is my ability to come up with creative ideas regularly. Mm. But my biggest fear is really, you know, at what point does the tank run dry? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, beautiful question again. The first one is when we look at your ability to solve problems, I think that's your natural tendency. It is not what you have acquired, but as I was mentioning in the beginning, this is how you look at the world. So if you look at the world being all uh, frames not being straight, you will go and straighten them because that's how you look at the world from. If you see people not being efficient with their solutions, you might not tell them or enforce your ideas, but you look at the world from a space, oh, but this can be done in a simpler manner. So if it's your natural tendency, it won't leave you. Okay, now will you run dry? Will you feel that the thoughts are not available or I'm not being as productive? You know, I currently see your problem more than burnout is not being intense enough. So it is actually the contrary. People do feel that I am feeling a little disinterested, probably because I have too much of work. For some people, and I'm, I'm talking about people who really enjoy what they do, uh, and specifically in your case, after describing all the different behaviors that we have, I genuinely believe that the concern would be that you're not intensely involved in an experience instead of feeling that am I exhausted by it. Now, I have to quote uh, Haruki Murakami here. He wrote a book on running. And he said, what I talk about when I talk about running, his, his memoir where he talks about different observations he made about running and writing in that book. 
and he speaks about burnout there he said for writing and for running if i want to decide when to stop it is when i still have a little run left within me i should stop so if i go all dry in every attempt then next morning i will not feel like you know running myself dry one more time but if i leave a little run within and i stop just before that the next morning i still have the so called as i call it romantic relationship still on with the work mm. or the project that you pick up then you are not like oh this was so tiring you're like okay i enjoyed and i stopped just before that so i think that that enticing yeah, aspect must continue interesting cool cool and um, i guess the final question yes. sorry i'm 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 just stop at the i'm going to stop at the thank first you page. very kind of you. very kind of um i think um one of the important things that i realize in in any work environment is especially as you transition from you know um young professional junior levels of management down to you know uh, higher levels i think it's important for us to not just stop at your ability to gather respect garner respect but also gather liking mm. this this twin play between respect and liking is so super critical especially you know i mean i always say this right you know respect gets you rewards when things are going good but it is not your safety net you need a safety net and that safety net only comes from ability to gather liking right mm -hmm. I mean, people should like you irrespective of your eminence in that subject matter so how does one deliberately you know um build this and and what any tips for uh, me or you know professionals like me in terms of what they can do to work on this aspect of balancing both respect as well as liking so the very moment it becomes liking for which if you leave who you are and if you try to pretend and fit into other people's peanut gallery you start creating that internal conflict and i we see many people especially on social media and different platforms where they're constantly delivering to the gallery and then running away like not only walking running away from who they are and then suddenly they meet themselves at a juncture where they're like am i really this person or not so i feel being vulnerable and being who you are are two very very crucial aspects of liking now most of the time we believe liking will only come when people relate to the pleasant aspect but you will be surprised and more we talk about it and and look at it we connect to people's genuine raw stories and their struggles now if you show courage to talk about it to kind of put that in the context that the other person can benefit from it and walk your truth i feel at the end of it it does lead to huge amount of i would not say liking but also in a way appreciation and people getting influenced by it because your story and your authenticity creates direct impact on their life now what goes against it is is where i see people who are committed to what they do tend to become righteous about what they do so thereby they start dismissing other sides so the very moment you become completely rooted in where you want to go and because you believe in it if people become rude if they become mm. condescending if they start discounting other people's value their their contribution or i also feel their perspective which is not like yours is where the respect and and liking conflict begins right you know the very moment you include them into the vision also like you know be 
tolerant of their ideas, it becomes a different story altogether. The point here is after a point, and now it is still okay, we can switch off the Zoom calls, but if you're working with somebody in a close uh, environment and where, where people can see all the shades of your personality, after a point, they do see through us and they do see through our judgments and our you know irritations. And this is where we get caught in, in a genuine manner instead of just feeling it otherwise so yeah yeah it's so important right especially you know we work in multicultural um, mm -hmm. uh, environments you know we cannot assume that what is appropriate in one culture your home culture is necessarily appropriate in somebody else's culture so it's it's so critical that you know sometimes i think the the default position is a very sanitized position <laughs> and then you take it from there depending on sure. how much of comfort you have with that other person right true and also i feel uh, you know as a culture when you build it it's such an evolving idea you can't build it and believe this is what we do you know gone those days where people say oh this is our company culture now with the kind of you know mix and globalization and all the ideas coming together on a daily basis the culture is if you are inclusive it's probably the only way to survive yeah. and then liked or or respected in that sense yeah cool so now uh, my turn, <clears throat> I have my 10 pages of questions for you. <laughs> so <laughs> if we have to uh, teach our listeners things from your experience as a professional and you know, as, as a high performer that you are, what three things that stand out in your career journey and your life? Okay, can I give a little more than three? Oh, please. <laughs> always welcome thank you <laughs> um no i mean jokes aside i think one of the things uh, and thanks to the conversation that we just had because a lot of these are uh, not necessarily related to marketing or a particular line of business <laughs> right it's 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 just about i think it's important to be a good human being first and then you can be good whatever else right true, true. Uh, and there is not a strong, negotiable yeah i mean there is a strong correlation between <laughs> the two right um yeah i mean so when I look at some of the things that uh, I see, um, you know, most of them are obviously acquired over the years, but I wish some of these had been given to me early on so that I would have had a longer, you know, platform and a longer time to dwell on those and improve on those, right? So maybe a few things. I think the most important piece here is, I know there's a lot of um, uh, conversation and coaching around building a personal brand. Mm, right. Um, sure it is important to build a personal brand it's also important to you know um, build a personal eminence but i would like to step beyond the boundaries of a personal brand or a you know eminence mm. and talk about executive presence wow and 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 how i differentiate exec presence from these personal. two personal branding and then eminence equation is Personal branding could be on any dimension. You could be seen as a, he's a fun person. He's a humorous person. This person is always late. This person is a very hardworking person. All of them are different attributes and each of those attributes becomes your brand. Hmm. On the other hand, a slightly more evolved version of that personal brand could be a personal eminence. But again, that personal eminence is this person is a solid finance professional this person right. is an expert when it comes to cross-border taxation mm. so it is less personal mm. more subject functional yep. functional yeah that gets you the respect i think what 
I wanted to touch upon really and ask our uh, uh, viewers and listeners here to really ask themselves what they are doing uh, to you know, improve upon is really the question of exec presence and what we are doing to build our exec presence. What do I mean by exec presence is, I mean, let's, if you just look around our own organizations and ask ourselves, who are the stars or who are the people that we really look up to? Mm. These are people who are sure they are known for something, uh, but they're also people that you like, you respect, they inspire confidence and are seen to be genuinely good people. Mm. And, you know, there's a, there's a, even if they're physically gone from that meeting or that place, there's a aura Presence. that, you know, hovers around. Yeah. So if I were to look at what therefore we could do or focus on, I would like to offer maybe five things here. Okay, great. Um, I don't know. Let's, let's start with five. Maybe it becomes six. I don't know. Let's see. But I think the primary lever to build on exec presence in my view is really to look at, you got to inspire confidence and confidence comes from, you know, um, your ability to hold and manage your emotions well. I mean, if you are going through a tough time or a confused time, you are not going to another person who is more confused or equally confused. You are going to someone who you think has the demeanor and the calming effect on you, who can help you, you know, think through with more clarity, right. bring more clarity. So your ability to inspire confidence comes from your ability to work on your insights. I mean, I always say work on your insights. I think the, the external will figure yeah. itself out. Right? So do I as a coach, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the, my number one um, um, piece of advice in terms of Great. defining and working on exec presence. The second aspect of exec presence that I would look at is really ability to generate respect. I mean, look, we are all in, in our professions for a particular reason, mm. right? The, the, the fundamental, one of the foundations of that is our ability to bring something to our work. Right. Right. So we got to be known for something. The right? value that we add. The value. So, so as much as we work on, I mean, we spoke about this, uh, it's important to generate liking, but liking without respect is, you know, uh, yeah. It's a little, you know, all fluff, no substance. Yeah, true. So we got to have that ability. We got to be known for something, some subject matter. We got to own that subject matter. Um, that's respect. Third piece, and I think it's increasingly critical for us, is uh, really about um, um, going with a win-win attitude. Mm. I mean, very often we frame our sentences as something that is personal to you which is always built in a positive with a positive connotation mm. and then there is a but in between and there is a other person's negative statement sure i'm for sure. example oh, for example, for example um, let me say um, i wanted to run this campaign which would have gotten us 20 million dollars in new revenue but <laughs> this person is a blocker. Mm. You take the statement. The first part of the statement can be characterized as, again, let's break it down. Three parts. One, it is about you. It is a personal statement. Mm. It is not about the other person. Mm. The first statement is a positive statement. Mm. 
is not a negative statement. Three, it is a very specific statement. It mm. talks about what you're doing and the impact it will have. Right. Now let's look at what comes after the beauty, mm. right? That statement is about, not about you, it's about the other person. That statement is a negative statement. That person is a blocker. Right. Not about what that person is doing. Mm. It's about that person, not about the person's task. Right. It's not objective, right? It's personalized. It's personalized. It, it, yeah. And then again, the, the, that statement number three is not specific. It's a mm. generalization of a person. Of his character. Of a character, right? So I feel if we tweak our framing of the problem, if we take away the but, mm. put an and, mm. and if we change the, you know, the impersonal, the lack of objectivity and the generalization of a character and convert them into the same language that we used to frame the first part of the statement, you, we can easily make it seem like, for instance, I mean, I'm just- no, For example, yeah. For example, right? Mm. I want to run a campaign which will generate another $20 million in revenue. And, and this person will make it happen only if this person is provided with two additional resources. Now we have a way to solve the problem. The problem mm -hmm. is potentially adding or giving this person two additional headcount, maybe on a temporary basis. True. So that it's not a win-lose or a lose-win. It is a, you know, it's a win-win and ultimately it's a win for the business. So just Arun, before we go ahead, you're not only rephrasing the sentence, you're actually changing the perspective. Yeah. You're saying, okay, as much credit I give to myself and, you know, I consider my aspiration. If I give that much credit to the other person who I was judging as the blocker and change what I can change about his situation to get the work done is where I will move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I mean, I, I genuinely, genuinely believe 99% of our uh, so-called conflicts. Yeah. I mean, we can always find a solution that creates a win to both sides True. easily, 99%. Because I mean, as much as I believe I'm binary in my thinking, I think the business situations, 99% of those business situations are non-binary. True. Absolutely. So we can solve them. I mean, it's just at a the end, of at the end of people working. And we can't be binary in many ways. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, uh, the piece around uh, um, uh, um, collaboration and our ability to, uh, um, you know, focus on uh, uh, solutions and not problems. Because I think it's important. I mean, look, none of us is paid to identify create problems. create problem. <laughs> yeah, sure. Create problems. <laughs> right? But I mean, even identify. You know, yeah, we are not paid to identify problems. We are paid to come up with solutions, right? I think we got to move to the next level. If if I, I think, who said this? I, I can't recollect. Somebody said this. Uh, um, if you don't know who said it, it is uh, attributed to Rumi, isn't it? <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> or Einstein. Einstein, yeah. Other two people, yeah. Depending on how poetic or logical yeah. it is, yeah. <laughs> you see that, you know, you need to have a level of intellect higher than the level of intellect that took you to identify the problem yeah to find right. the solution True. yeah exactly so i think we got to, we are paid to do that so i think we got to focus on the solution that's my uh, um, the third piece the final one is uh, i think we got a network there's no exact presence without networking and the best way to net network is sharing your expertise right i mean 
um, what does it cost you to you know uh, give a free advice if somebody is asking you for an advice it not necessarily it's never i mean everything need not be a power equation True. it could just be a you know a friendly word that you put in so that you know what goes around comes around right True. so building a network sharing your expertise is is the fifth lever that i will offer in terms of building that exact presence so generate confidence um garner respect because by you know standing up and no being known for something have those so called critical conversations which focus on getting a win win mm -hmm. uh, collaboration that focuses on solutions and not problems and finally the uh, this aspect of uh, building your network so in this lockdown situation how do you recommend people build network you will be amazed um i'll give you an example uh if um, if you think network building can only happen face to face i'll give you an example recently i was at a um it was a virtual gathering it was a virtual wine tasting gathering for senior marketing professionals wow okay okay a wine package came to my place and at an appointed hour we were um, you know we we joined on zoom conference and then we were tasting wine we were talking to each other on you know rating the different wines i mean things can be done uh, <laughs> things can be done i we may think that you know um, it can never be as good as face to face maybe it is true maybe it is not mm. but that shouldn't stop us from taking that first step true great that was great so many points to carry home in one single conversation thank you so much arun this was really interesting uh, you know every time we have a guest we always ask them and this is my favorite question and i'm going to ask you specifically with your with your background in sports and your passion for your work and sport together how do you define failure and what was your best favorite failure till date one of the things that i personally write down in fact when i look at my desk at home there is a there is a board you know one of those that you use on shop yeah, right? yeah on that i have abl i'm not a sales person so it is not an abc for me for me it's abl always be mm -hmm. learning so if you don't learn that's when it's a failure if you're mm. learning from it i don't think it's a failure and as a sportsman that's my everyday i mean go to turn up there some days i win everything some days i lose everything some days there's a mix but you know you got to learn from it sure if you're doing that i don't think there is a failure and which is your favorite failure till date favorite failure oh my god there's been so many <laughs> <laughs> Like no, the I one think, that uh, stood out, and you're like, "Oh, that was brilliant." <laughs> no, I mean, there's been quite a few, um, quite a few in terms of the matches, and you know, things that uh, you know you lost by one point to someone, and that person went on to win uh, uh, world championship, silver medal, and you know, so those things hit you. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, yeah. you go on. So <laughs> there's always another. Thank time. you, Arun. This is this is really great. thank you so much for being part of our conversation being on the show and i hope to learn so much more from you in the coming future thank you for having me i think this was one of the most enjoyable discussions i've had there's a lot of uh, learning that i personally got uh, both as a um, as a mirror that i can see myself and all its flaws and all its strengths in which is great i think i believe in the power of uh, self introspection mm. um, i think that's important um, for everybody uh, every stage in their sure, life to self introspect so this is a i think a brilliant um, r plus that we spend um, personally great value for me and thank you for 
um, you know, hosting this session. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Absolutely Right podcast. If you have a story where you feel a raw, real conversation like this, or even our Friday episode has left a lasting impact on you, then do write to me. It's always wonderful to hear from our listeners and viewers. My email ID is right, W-R-I-T, at aditisurana.com. If you're as fascinated as I am with this whole subject of graphology and wish to learn it to analyze your team members, your family, your kids more than anything else, and yourself, of course, then you can learn the Graphology Masterclass. The link is mentioned in the description. You can find all the details on the website. After working with more than 18 years with leaders like these, we have created India's first mental and emotional fitness gym. The idea is simple. We require workout and diet to keep our bodies healthy and strong. But we don't do pretty much anything to keep our minds and emotions healthy and strong. So we create these weekly conversations and you get to Practice it. You get to build a routine. You get to work with like-minded people and test yourself before making all these principles as part of your life. We have heard some amazing stories from our participants. If you want to be part of this community, then you can know more about it on this link, aditisarana.com slash apt, A for aspire, P for perform, and T for transform. I'll see you on Friday with one more episode of the Absolutely Right podcast. Till then, happy writing. (music) 